This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 158. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Amramayasha, and today we are shining a spotlight on one of the rising stars of the indie manga publishing world. We are talking about Starfruit Books, the new publisher that just started last year that has already released a ton of great books. We're talking with its founder, Matosh, about the imprint and about, you know, their ethos as a publisher and the works they've done, the journey to get there, and one of their marquee titles, their star title, Pop Life by Minami Kuta, which we had a great discussion about. And it is a really great conversation we had with Ma, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I'm really glad that we that we were able to have Matt on. It's been something we've been trying to like work out in the background for for a bit, and I'm glad we were we were able to finally do it. Hopefully, we can have Matt on again in the future. We have a few ideas as to like what else we could talk about with him, but uh, I'm glad that I got to read Pop Life and talk about it because you know not to give too much away, but it is very good, and people should definitely check it out. And we want to help more people check it out, actually. So we're actually going to be running a little contest kind of in tandem with this episode of the podcast. Lum, do you want to talk about how that's going to work? That's right. We are teaming up with Starfruit Books to run a special giveaway contest for our listeners. We give one lucky listener a chance to win free copies of Boat Williams of Pop Life. All you have to do to enter the contest is to follow us and Starfruit Books on Twitter and retweet the tweet promoting this episode, our Pop Life episode, which will be our pinned tweet for you to easily recognize and access. You can follow Manga Mavericks on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks, all letters lowercase, and Starfruit Books on Twitter at Starfruit Books, also all letters lowercase. The contest will be open for about a week after this podcast goes live, ending by the end of the day of Friday, May 21st. We'll then randomly select a winner from all those who participated and DM them so that Matt Hodge of Starfruit Books can send you your downloadable copies. Once again, we want to thank Matt for teaming up with us to run this special giveaway. We're really excited to be doing a giveaway contest like this. Hope to do more in the future. And once again, this survey is going to be live through Friday, May 21st. So don't miss this chance to read this wonderful series that will really make your life pop and enter our giveaway before we stop. Mm-hmm. Yes, so you guys all have a week to basically retweet our podcast tweet. Again, if you want to follow us on Twitter, that is at manga underscore mavericks. Mm -hmm. And again, as you'll hear on this episode, we love Pop Life and spend a lot of time analyzing the series and Renami Huta's theming and messages and just what the story like is about and what makes it so compelling. So, you know, it's a great, great comic. You absolutely will love reading it. So definitely enter this contest for a chance to read the entire series, you know, just courtesy of us and Matt. And yeah, I hope you enjoy our discussion with Matt. You know, everybody needs a trill and we all got a space to fill on our manga shelf. So let's get into our interview with Matt and learn why manga ain't real funky unless it's got that pop. Dig it.
It's time for us to shine a spotlight on a rising star in the indie manga publishing world. That's right. Starfruit Books has popped into our lives and we are loving it. And we are here today to talk with its founder and discuss one of its most interesting titles, Pop Life by Banami Kuta. We're here today to interview Matt Hosh. Hello. Thank you for having me. How are you today? We're doing really well, and we're really excited to talk to you. Yes, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, sorry it took us a little bit to finally get around to recording this, but I mean, in fairness, we we wanted to wait, and you know, by the time people are listening to this, it'll already have been out for a bit. But uh, you know, we wanted to wait until the second volume of Pop Life was out, so we could have a you know maybe a full discussion on it potentially. Yeah, and I think. That was a great decision, especially after reading the second volume, because I think it really brings together the full context of the series and what Banami Kuta was trying to explore thematically between the two volumes. So I'm really excited and glad to have had read the entire series for this discussion. And I want to thank you, Matt, for graciously sending us uh, review copies for us to read. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed them. And yeah, I'm glad we did wait until... Um... It was completed and ready for everyone to read because it is something that deserves a nice discussion on. So I'm glad uh, I could be here today. Thank you. Absolutely. But before we get into pop life, we want to ask you about your background in manga and how you got Starfruit Books up and running. And let's start right at the beginning. What did get you into manga? What is your manga origin story, so to speak? Um, good question. Um, so when I was younger, I, you know, I liked whatever was on television, of course, uh, Sailor Moon in the morning, stuff like that. I do remember we had an anime store close to where I live that opened and we just, my parents and I went one day and got some free anime, um, VHS tapes. I got a couple of copies of those who hunt elves. Actually, it's pretty funny. I wonder where I have those at and some manga, um, they had some manga there you could look at, but they wouldn't let you take. So that was really interesting. Mm. And then it just went from there. And I think I purchased my first volume at uh, 13. I want to say like late, either 12 or 13. So, yeah, mm. the collecting and the addiction is real. And it's been going since yeah. then. <laughs> Do you remember what the first manga volume you ever bought was? Um, it is The Vision of Escalfone, volume one. Um, mm. I bought that. And then I bought a volume of card captors with it. Um, nice. Yeah. Nice. So I still have it, and I still have the receipt for it. Actually, that's funny. I, I didn't realize. Oh wow. I opened, yeah, I opened the volume. That's wow. so funny, and I use it as a bookmark. So I'm that's glad. awesome. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. What actually. a memento. So, yeah, so it's pretty cool. This is kind of. Uh, I'll never get rid of. It. I mean, the volume's pretty beat up now, to be honest. But hey, it's cool. Yeah, worn out from years of rereads. I definitely have a few books in my collection like that that are just falling apart by how many times I flipped through it. Oh man, that's real funny because I I I don't have it anymore. But um, I remember the very first volume of One Piece I bought, which was obviously Volume One, uh, all the way back in like two thousand and six or whatever. And I had it for years, and I like I would constantly just like read that volume for for whenever like I I needed something to like read during downtime at school or whatever. And I I think I eventually like gave it to somebody or whatever that I wanted to get into One Piece at the mm. time and. 
I I I feel bad because at the time I didn't feel bad about like giving it away because like I wanted to get that person in the one piece in particular. But not now I wish I still kind of had that volume because like man I had that thing for like probably a few years at that point. Yeah, you always remember your first experience with anything formative, and yeah, for me I think the volume of manga I've reread the most is the bo 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 standalone volume. That is the most worn out manga volume in my collection. That's a great volume, yes. I treasure it so much. <laughs> you know, actually, I I think that might have, I think that was actually like the first volume of manga that I've like actually read because uh, a, mm. a friend of mine, a friend of mine lent it to me when I was still in middle school. And obviously I'd been watching the Bobo anime on TV at the time. And it was, it was slightly different than what I was used to. I was like, oh, why is there more blood? I don't yeah, remember this. everyone's coughing up blood all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Gleefully violent. It's pretty great. But Matt, I was curious, you know, from your initial getting into manga, like how did you start discovering more and more different titles? And in general, why do you feel you've gravitated to manga over anime? Um, so... I, you know, just over the years, I've just dug and dug and dug on the internet and, I mean, come across all kinds of different manga, you know, that we will never see the over here um, and just stare at it and enjoy what I can find of it. I think that, I mean, I still do it. I, you know, it's a little easier these days. You have a lot of online sites, Pixiv, stuff like that, so you're able to actually get to check out what you know, new creators are posting and stuff like that. So that helps out. It's a lot of fun, to be honest. I didn't think I would (laughs) make it this far, this quickly. And I mean, um, I'm looking forward to working with some of our current authors and new authors in the close future here. That's exciting. And is that interest in a lot of these really smaller titles that, you know, would not get picked up by bigger publishers was that like the impetus for you to found starfruit books and you know to try and get some of these titles that otherwise might not be localized out there absolutely um i think that really was the force behind um starting starfruit was really getting out there and finding these untouched gems i guess you could say that will never be you know never see the light of day over here and you know, maybe the publisher doesn't want to take the risk, or they're not sure if the mark, you know, if it's going to sell okay, or things like that. But honestly, I'm interested in it, and uh, reaching out to some of these authors and speaking with them, it's really um, interesting to see how many want their works in English, and you know, they've been hoping to find that bridge to get their works available in English. So I'm really happy to be able to help provide that for them. Yeah, it's awesome to be able to expand the reach of these works to wider audiences to enjoy and appreciate them. And I think we've definitely seen a lot of great buzz and reception to a lot of the titles that you've published. But I am curious of like what the road was like to actually get Starfruit books off the ground. Like what work did you have to kind of put into like kind of figuring out, you know, how to set up a company and a publisher in particular, and gather a team of people to work on the localization. What was that, like, road like? Um, It's a long road. I'm still still on it. So, <laughs> to, start, um, to start the business, the business side of it, um, 
you know, I had to register with the state of Florida here, um, you know, do all the good legal mumbo jumbo and all that good stuff. Um, I work full time. I'm actually in, I'm in banking, so kind of familiar with that aspect of it. So that wasn't mm-hmm. the hard part, I think. Um, you know, I did the website. Um, I had a friend of mine help me with the logo. Um, when it came to the localization staff, that was somewhat challenging as well. Um, so our head translator, Dan, um, him and I have known each other for years. We've just always, ch- we've chatted online here and there, and we've always kept in contact. I'd say it's probably been about 15 years now. Um, wow. And then, yeah, about, a, about like last April or May. Uh, no, sooner than that. I'd say probably like last January, uh, Dan and I were talking, and he's always, you know, he, he's done a lot of translating, you know, different manga and other mediums. Uh, and he was like, you know, you should look into, you know, getting into it kind of thing. He's kind of pushed me over the years to kind of do it. So I finally said, you know, screw it, let's do it kind of thing. So yeah, I did meet Dan, and he helped translation part and the rest of it, like the lettering and stuff like that. Those amazing people that are helping on that side of things I've met through Twitter and other other things like that. So, yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. It is a lot of work. Um, it's a, I'm doing something daily in regards to our next project or our current project. But, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome that you're able to reach out together to a lot of different people to just bring them together to form this team to look like your styles and that you know the you had like a longtime friend kind of encourage you down this road that's really awesome yeah i mean i I honestly couldn't do it without him he really has you know really pushed me to kind of kind of get going on it so that i'm really glad he did that and then the actual meeting the authors and reaching out to them that's you know a whole uh, animal on its own. I'm very fortunate that I met uh, Minami Kuta. She was one of the first I reached out to, and her reply was pretty simple and pretty much just like, yeah, I'd love to see my work in English, So, and the rest is history. So <laughs> I'm very fortunate for her. I'm That's awesome. Happy, yeah, I'm very happy I met her. She's a very nice person. I can't wait to the day that I can actually meet her in person. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that as well. Oh, that'd be awesome. Go to Germany and chug a few high-quality German brews with her. That's be a <laughs> lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, eat some good bratwurst. Oh, man. That sounds like a really great time. I am curious because with Minami Kuta in particular, because she lives in Germany and lives abroad, when you reached out to her, did you communicate in Japanese or were you able to communicate with her in English or? Um, I did, um, it was in Japanese. I did send her a message in Japanese, and she did reply in Japanese. Um, however, we do email sometimes. We do email sometimes in English, um, you know, short things or short messages sometimes. So that all really works out. Um, I believe she's back in Japan now, if I recall. Um, oh. So, yeah. So, but yeah. Um, yeah, we email quite often. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, she's really friendly. I, like I said, she honestly, if it weren't for her, I wouldn't be here today. You know, meeting her, just discussing things. And she kind of guided me on, you know, what I should do next kind of thing. So I, it it's kind of a cool story. And I, I think I'm going to have to do a little write up on it someday. So, Oh, man, I'd love to read that. And we having read Pop Life. I can definitely see that philosophy from her in her work of like encouraging people to take bold leaps into a new step 
phase in their lives. So, yeah, that I'm glad that also has translated into reality with her also encouraging you down this road and down the path of, you know, starting Starfruit and publishing. Yeah, definitely. It was definitely, um, I kind of didn't think I'd have that response. I was thinking, I was like, oh man. So I've, I've always liked uh, Miami Kuta. I've stumbled across her works. I know she has a few things in French. I want to say one or two titles in Italian. I've come across those and I mean, they look great. So I, I've, I've been familiar with her and her art, her art style over the years. And I've always just, I don't know, I've always liked it. So I, when I reach out to her, I was like, well, I actually like this author and she's someone I'm familiar with. So let me go ahead and reach out. And to get the response I got, it was kind of like, oh, it was amazing. Yeah. And Poplight really is a special title. I'm definitely curious and hoping that maybe we'll get more of her works available. You know, I'd, I'd love to read more. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wink, wink, nudge, yeah, nudge. she's a very prolific creator, so I looked through like kind of the list of stuff she's done. And there's so much there that I'm definitely keen to read after having read Pop Life. But I am also curious about the other authors you've been collaborating with, and if there have been any interesting stories about reaching out to them, working with them. I'm really interested in Kakyo Sarka in particular because not only are you translating his manga works, but you're also translating his video storyboard series. Definitely, yeah. So he's another one. He's a really cool guy. Very friendly. We chat as well pretty often. We email back and forth or, you know, Twitter DM kind of thing. Hmm. He's very talented. I really enjoy his art. I really enjoy his storytelling. I like everything about his visuals. Um, when he told me he was uh, releasing uh, the Pon Pon, um, that video board there, storyboard, you know, I just told him, hey, I, you know, I see you've got the closed captioning there. And, you know, uh, would you consider some English subtitling? And, we, you know, we can handle it if you'd like. And he was like, yeah, go for it. So <laughs> we decided to go ahead and just, hand, you know, help him out with that because, we, you know, it needs to reach a wider audience because it is such a just unique um, eight minute episode kind of storyboard. It's so fun. Like, I like. Surakawa's sense of humor, like he takes these genres and then adds like kind of a spin on um, the mundanity or kind of the complications of it all. Like with Sawanabe Zombie, we have a zombie story in which this guy turned into a zombie, he's conscious and he has to deal with kind of the pains of like being a zombie and not being fast enough and then like having to hunt down, you know, flesh to eat, but then, you know, it getting sniped and him having to eat <laughs> like a penis. And then with <laughs> Pon Pon, you have this story about this alien mech pilot and the superhero girl. And then, you know, they save the city from this cute looking uh, monster, but then they have to deal with the rigmarole of bureaucracy and getting into interrogated by soldiers and government agents and like just the mundanity of having to deal with all that red tape crap is just so funny the contrast like you have these exaggerated like anime character archetypes who have to interact and bounce off these pretty grounded bureaucratic and soldier types it's a very funny contrast yeah i think he's um I feel the same way. I, I love his humor. I love the way he portrays his characters. I love, you know, like you said, everyone's very animated, and I really like that. And as for zombie, uh, seven of a zombie, um, I'm personally not someone who normally likes zombie stories out of that kind of supernatural, I guess you could say, things. Uh, zombies yeah, yeah. are my least favorite. 
Um, so when I, when I saw that and I was like, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I think it, I've read it probably six or seven times now. Um, I, I just, I think it's a great story. I think it's, like I said, my only complaint on that one is that it's not long enough. Um, I would love some mm-hmm. extra length on that or a full length series personally. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it would be a great, it would be a great weekly or a great monthly or even biweekly series, a couple volumes or so personally. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I agree. So, um, but yeah, I, he's a lot of fun to work with. Uh, I really enjoy his works. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's another author who I'm looking forward to anything he does. Now, having read the stuff that you've put out of him and then the Plum Plum series, I'm really looking forward to more episodes of that. Mm-hmm. On, on that topic, I haven't bought it yet, but uh, I'm hopefully going to buy and check out um, Ikyodo soon. Yeah, definitely check that one out. Um, if you like action, it's got a lot of action. And his uh, his art is just, he portrays, you know, his characters very well. Um, so I don't know. I really enjoyed it as well. I thought it was a great read. Definitely. If you, if you haven't checked that out, I would say you definitely should. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he has another, he has other series as well. Um, I'm trying to think. Of I do this every time. There's one, It's I think it's seven chapters long. It's in English. It's on Manga Club. Yeah. Different Nation is what it's oh. called. Yeah, Different Nation. So it's kind of like a futuristic city kind of thing. And then he also did a manga for Space Loader Pompon. However, I think he stopped it at one or two chapters because he wanted to make some revisions, if I recall. So I don't know mm. what, what the status is of that or anything like that. But... um. That's pretty cool. Also, if you have, I know it's available, I think, on Kindle Unlimited Japan. And that one was really cool to look at because it's kind of like an American style comic. Nice. Yeah. So I would say if you have a chance just to look at that, that or it was like 100 yen or something like that. So it was definitely pretty neat to check out. Oh, hey, looks like um, looks like different nations available on Mangamo as well. Oh, oh we got to check that out later. Nice. Nice. I didn't know that. Good to know. There's so much on manga mode oh, that it's just, <laughs> it's it's just a treasure trove. Yeah. So many hidden gems. Yeah, I think in general, I think a, a, like a lot of the stuff on Manga Club is also on manga mode. Like I was reading, um, I was reading Vikings or whatever it's called on Manga Club originally, and then I just ended up finding it on manga mode. So I wouldn't be surprised if like a lot of manga club stuff is on there as well. Nice. I am interested back on the subject of the video storyboards series Pompon. Like subtitling that project, like were there any interesting like challenges in like getting used to you know having to subtitle a video like that or because it is a different kind of skill set than manga localization in a sense, you know, matching things up with the timing and whatnot. Um so I was um, fortunate that um Dan and then our um my friend Rob, who also did the covers for Pop Life, uh, they're both pretty well versed in doing subtitles and uh, closed captions and stuff like that. So that worked out pretty well. So, yeah, I was a little nervous at first, but they handled it very well, actually. And I, I'm very uh, happy with the product. Uh, we don't know when episode three is coming, but I know it's being worked on currently. Kaki was working on it, but I think it should be coming soon. Nice. I imagine it must take a bit of work to create because it's in full color and it is pretty much a motion comic. So, 
I can definitely see it taking time. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. it takes forever. I don't, you know, I don't know. I'd be curious to see his creation process, actually. Hmm, that's interesting. I'd love to see a behind-the-scenes of yeah. him working on it. Yeah, I would, too. That'd I think be really pretty cool. neat. Yeah, I'm going to ask him about that. Let me write that down. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you've licensed a lot of interesting series and work with a lot of interesting authors. But I'm interested in, like, what are some of the dream licenses? Like, what are some of the types of works you'd hope to cover? I know you can't really mention anything specific. But, like, in just in general terms of, like, what kind of genre or kind of category of manga are you interested in pursuing going forward? Um, Definitely more of the, like, uh, the Jose manga. Um, mm-hmm. you know, anything like that, definitely sign me up. I want it all. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really want some more sci-fi, you know, I really want some sci-fi manga, horror manga, emphasis on horror manga. Mm-hmm. Definitely some, you know, anything old, older manga of any kind, shonen or shoujo. You know, and like I've said before, kids manga would be ideal. I would love to, to license a whole a whole lot of kids manga. However, I don't know <laughs> where I would start on that. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. I imagine there's a lot that you could choose from. Yeah, there is definitely a lot. I have a soft spot for like TCG manga or, you know, any kind of like kids franchise, I guess you could say. Any Anything yeah. like Toyetic? Right. Yeah. So anything that, you know, those ones that never last like more than one or two volumes that will never leave Japan. Like, those are the ones that I want. (laughs) (laughs) That's so fun. Like, to get the manga of, like, these toy franchises that never even left Japan would be so interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure it'd be a very um, limited market, but I think it'd be pretty interesting to see. Uh, That, and definitely, I do, as much as I'm not a sports person, I do like sports manga. So I I would be interested in getting some sports titles. Yeah. I mean, technically, you you kind of secretly, you kind of secretly license the sports manga with Pop Life because it is a true. sports manga for a little That's bit. True. Yeah, I say, it's all. Did, yeah, I say, dig a little sportsy there. I was like, oh, well, I, this is fine because it's in manga form. If it was like, uh, if it was, <laughs> if it wasn't, I probably wouldn't even. <laughs> well, soccer was having fun. Yeah, like I enjoyed watching her play. <laughs> but yeah, in general, I'm really glad to hear that you're definitely looking at licensing a lot of underrepresented genres and like what would you say would be the ethos of star for books like your mission statement as a publisher let's see i mean i just you know we are a a a small manga publisher that is really focusing on working with artists directly to not only bring their works to english but to also you know make sure that they get their fair share for for creating something so amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. I am curious also then about like kind of what royalties the mangaka get. Like do you think that they get like a higher share compared to what they might get from sales from uh series published through traditional publishers or like the big name publishers? Kind of like how with Iridori they offer like a bigger share back to the original creators from sales of uh, their titles right so yeah definitely so we definitely um you know i I can't speak for print because i'm not sure what they're getting per um you know print cost 
you know, uh, royalty for print books from the Japanese publisher or anything like that. Uh, however, I know I've spoken to one or two artists and they said, you know, our digital royalties, you know, they're pretty, um, pretty good compared to what they're used to getting. I've been told that twice now, so that was nice to hear. However, I mean, we're not as exposed as your Kodanshas or your, you know, large companies. However, um, it is nice that they are able to not only get a bit, a little bit larger of a cut, but also, um, we do take their input seriously and their feedback and, um, changes and stuff to the manga so it's it's nice to actually get artist input as opposed to just being given the work and say do what you want with it yeah it's really great that you very closely and personally collaborate with these artists like there isn't like a chain of hierarchy that kind of abstracts the artist from the people who are at the top of these decision making uh decisions and you know, the larger companies like Kadansha and whatnot. So I like that intimate vibe you guys have. Yeah, I think it's really important being that we're, you know, localizing someone's um, art into, you know, a, a foreign language. And we want to make sure that while they might not be able to read, you know, what, what we're putting out, you know, that that everything looks good to them, that we didn't, you know, that they're okay with us replacing the sound effects with the English you know, an English translation as opposed to just subtitling them, or if they don't like how this bubble looks because we had to do a little bit of change on it because of how narrow it was with the Japanese text, you know, we want that input. We want to make sure that they're okay with what we're putting out. That's great. Are there any, like, specific examples you can think of of, like, the stuff you post so far in which you received feedback from an artist and then made, like, a significant change to the localization? I have, we have something coming out in the future that's not announced that um, we finished translating and, you know, lettering the first chapter and everything looked good. So I sent it back to the artist and they said, actually, um, they are bilingual, both English and Japanese. And they said, hey, mm. this one part, I don't like, they didn't like one part with a description of something, and but they explained why and it made sense. So <laughs> uh, it mm. was something like, um, it was just... I can't explain too much because it would give it away, but it'll be described, though, whenever it gets released, for sure. <laughs> mm, okay. Interesting. Yeah. It was pretty cool, actually. It was nice because it, they just said it's something that's common. Um, it's translated commonly translated one way when it should be another, but it, it doesn't take away from any of the context or anything like that. But it was like, I was like, oh, that's interesting. So we just decided to, um, I was going to put a little translator note in the back of the book whenever that gets announced in movies. How oh, nice. Mm. Interesting dealing with the nuances of language and translation there. But I guess that also brings me to the question of, in general, what have been some of the growing pains of Starfruit as it approaches its basically one-year anniversary? Like, what have been the biggest successes and challenges you think you've had so far? And what has been the best received among your titles? And have there been any surprises along the journey? Um, I think Pop Life, I would say, is our, our most well-received. Um, I think it does very well. Uh, I was kind of surprised it did. it's doing as well as it is. I don't think it's by any means in a bad series. I think it's it's honestly one of my, my favorite manga right now and for a long time. And I'm really glad that being Minami Kuta's first English language work, that it is being as well-received as it is, because she's definitely... Um, 
not represented over here, and we need we need as much of her as we can get. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think one of the I would say growing pains, a lot of emails. <laughs> we do get a lot of emails. Um, I I think that I you know most of the time for reaching out to different artists or mangaka, I um, you know I'm doing a lot of that research. However, I do reach out to you know I I always welcome recommendations and things like that it helps me out because you know i only know so much and um, i love to hear other people's recommendations um i think that honestly the emails is the big one i i've never it's crazy to think that one day you have not no one is talking to you for two three days actually let's say and then everyone emails you at one time and you're like oh my god (laughs) and i'm just someone that i like to respond quickly to emails if i can and, mm. it, you know, different time zones from Japan. So it's like that. And I, I'm that person who forgets to turn off notifications and it wakes you up at 3 a.m. So <laughs> I was like, gosh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my say, gosh. Um, it's honestly, I I can't believe I'm here or we are here. The team is here. As we've gotten as far as we have. Um, I'm really proud of the people I work with. They are amazing. The quality that their standards are high. Uh, my standards are high, so therefore we're making sure we put out something nice for everyone. I'm just really fortunate to have the team that I have, and it is growing, slowly growing. We do have a lot of stuff up our sleeve, per se, a lot of unannounced titles, so I'm really looking forward to sharing those with everyone. Not sure when yet, but we will. <laughs> That's wonderful and exciting. And, I mean, speaking of you know, you guys expanding and branching out. I mean, you are going to be publishing your first print title soon, too, When Pink Rain Falls by Oyu. So I, I'm curious also to hear about, you know, some of the challenges also getting into publishing in print after, you know, publishing digitally until now. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, you know, my when starting Surf Fruit, I always, I like digital manga personally. Um, I know a lot of people prefer print where I, I mean, I have a nice, I prefer print, I guess you could say. Um, but I really want to get out into print just because just to, you know, reach that wider audience, I guess you could say. And I think that one challenge would be finding a, a reliable printer. I, I've got a few lined up for various things. I'm not worried about it, but at first, it's kind of hard. I mean, it's not, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of factors. Of course, COVID right now is definitely putting a strain on everything. So, you know, it's just kind of nerve wracking sending that email you know, to get print quotes or pricing and just never getting a reply or getting one like six weeks later kind of thing. It was more like three and a half, four weeks. Oh so, my God. Yeah. It was just kind of like, okay, like, did I go to spam? What happened? But it was okay. I mean, it, it wasn't a big deal. Um, oh, yeah. it, was, it was very stressful though. It was pretty <laughs> stressful. So, <laughs> but um, glad we got past that. But yeah, it's it's been a fun ride. I'm, I'm for like I said, I'm fortunate. Wow, we have some people on the team that are uh, well versed in um, you know print manga. So definitely helping me out there to make sure that everything looks okay. When Pink Rain Falls is going to be a great release. I think a lot of people will really enjoy that. It's very light. Um, it is a, a, a BL title. It is very light, Ooh. but it is very, it is a very nice, a very nice quick read. <laughs> yeah, I love the art on the cover and the character designs. Oh, I'm so looking forward Such to a... it. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. I've 
read that one a few times now as well. We're actually getting ready to send that off to the printer here shortly. So, Ooh. yeah, yeah, I, I think it'll be very well received. I'm hoping so, at least. And the uh, the artist is very friendly as well. They're they are really excited that we're getting this out in English. So nice, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. And a lot of your upcoming titles on your slate that you've announced, like again, it's such an eclectic group with very different styles to them and I'm, I'm really curious just to check it out i appreciate the variety of the stuff you guys have been licensing yeah that that's definitely the thing i probably appreciate most about uh about your guys's collection of uh, of mangas that there's there's a, there's a good variety for sure yeah it was i mean nowadays it seems everyone's licensing licensing the same stuff right i mean we have the same genres getting licensed left and right and it, it was just nice to kind of um it's nice to have a i guess collection of different works because there are titles that aren't for everyone you know and might target one person and not the other and i think it's been very well received as well so i'm glad that you all are enjoying it as much as we are mm -hmm. i'm really looking forward to uh speaking of stuff that we're looking forward to i'm probably looking forward to a monthly shoujo sunday the most actually yeah yeah Oh, it's great. It is so great. <laughs> Let me just say that. I was looking at it this morning, actually. I was looking over some of it, and I'm like, oh, this is lovely. So I'm really I'm really looking forward to that. I'd love to also work with the author in the future. I love everything she does. Like I said, she uh, she drew me my profile picture. Oh, <laughs> so that was pretty cool. I, you know, she, I, we just talked one day, and she said, send me, a, send me a couple pictures, and I'll draw you a couple. So she did, and I thought that was pretty neat. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that and Vasila, I'm really looking forward to. Vasila, like, just has a great style to it, like Viking era, you know, definitely very cartoony. Like, I really, really looking forward to that one, too. Yeah, it's definitely a style I don't normally see in a lot of manga. Yeah, me neither. Uh, it's definitely kind of a different look, and um, I'm really excited for that as well. I'm not sure how much of I posted of it. I've posted some previews, but there are only a handful of color pages like towards the middle of the book, and they're gorgeous. Mm, the artist oh did such a great job with the color pages. I mean, everything about it is great. Uh, they have some other works as well that I have not checked out, and I feel bad for not. Um, but they have, they're they just like uh, one-shots, I want to say. But yeah, um, Basilisa is going to be amazing. It's is i want to say it's it's a good size i want to say it's almost 300 pages oh. so yeah it's a good it's a good volume um i'm really looking forward to it though it's just wacky uh, you know the, it's an adventure so it's it's pretty good looking forward to that one for sure excellent yeah well we're really looking forward to everything you've got coming up and we've really enjoyed everything you've released so far, and that especially includes Pop Life. And I think we should dig into our discussion of the series. And yeah, I mean, this was your debut title, your first real announcement, and your first published work. And actually, specifically with Pop Life, besides what we've already covered, were there any interesting like stories you have on the localization process of like, you know, actually, you know, with this being your first published work, like actually, you know, putting it out and creating the ebook. It was a pretty smooth process, actually. I was 
Uh, very nervous, of course. Uh, it was, you know, it was new territory for me, definitely. Um, like I said, I'm very fortunate to have the team I do. They made sure that there was nothing, no hiccups there. It was a lot of fun to, to do, you know, to work on the cover, to get that going, uh, to find the, the right fit for the team. We're able to line up, you know, some pretty good people for that. I think that the process, the whole process, I think, was very smooth. I want to say also that uh, Minami Kuta, like I've said prior, she's very friendly and laid back. And she, you know, pretty much said, just go for it, you know, kind of left it all up to us kind of thing. And that's when I said, no, I don't want it to be left up to us. I want to make sure we get your input. So, <laughs> she, you know, she didn't she didn't order any, many changes, if any, rather. She was honestly, I think she was really, really happy and really surprised at how good it came out. Um, you know, being that we're new and we had no recognition whatsoever. I don't know. I I think she was very, I know she was very pleased with it. So I I think that was very reassuring and kind of calmed my nerves. That's for sure. Hmm. That's great. And it definitely, it came out really polished and well, like I, I really enjoyed reading the volumes and they did just read and look great. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) I also think it's just such a great work to have as your debut title because it is a premise that, much like the rest of the titles that you've curated, it is an atypical premise that gets published here, localized. It is a story about two single mothers raising their children together in a communal home. And it's just not a story you see often about these kind of makeshift communal family living situations. Right. I think it's definitely something, you know, like you said, we, we've never really seen that on the manga side of things in, in the West. Um, and I, I really, I really enjoyed it. And I really liked how light everything was, how, you know, her artwork just complements the story. You know, it all just works so well together and just, you know, everything about it. So I'm really glad that we were able to narrow that for our first release. Um, to be honest, I was on. Uh, thinking about doing uh, Sawanabe Zombie as our first release. I had Pop Life and I believe Sawanabe Zombie ready about the same time, but I said, no, let, let's do um, Pop Life. Um, and I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, this, I think this is definitely the kind of story that like, you know, obviously, like you say, we, we don't really see this in manga very often at all in the West, but I, I do think this is, to me, this felt like the kind of thing that I think, like, especially nowadays is probably, like, is probably relevant and relatable to a lot of people, I think. Mm-hmm. Just from the, like, communal living aspect, you know, a lot of people, like, especially nowadays, like, uh, I was I was thinking about how, like, oh, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people who, who are more comfortable nowadays with, like, kind of, you know, maybe cutting themselves off from family and, you know, trying to find their own way and they end up like, they end up like rooming with other people and forming connections and found family through, through those kinds of living situations. And that was the kind of stuff I was thinking about while like reading this. I just, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. It's really great to see exploration of non-traditional family structures. And particularly when it comes to the subject of you know, two adults teaming up to take care of their children together. Because it takes a village to raise children, as the old adage goes. Yeah. And it is really hard to do that alone. So to see these two different 
women with, you know, team up to take care of the children and really delegate responsibilities to each other and truly live as domestic partners. Like, they are second mothers to each other's children. It's just so fascinating and lovely to see. Not only that, they offer, you know, companionship to each other as, like, really, you know, great friends. And they go off and they buy appliances with each other. They, you know, help each other out just on all sorts of daily tasks. And it's just really interesting to see that level of cooperation and that level of just harmony in their relationship. And they're truly happy uh, like this. and. You know, it's just a touching moment. Like, the kids themselves also see the other mother as, like, their second mother. Like, when Sakura goes to visit Ruru, when she has her spell with asthma during the Hokkaido farm vacation trip, like, when Taichi comes back and sees her there, he, like, tells her friends, oh, Sakura is the lady who also lives with us. She's, like, my second mom. It's just so sweet. Yeah, it's it's nice to see that kind of thing, like you know, like normalized through manga. I think. Right, I agree. And not only is it normalized, but it's more of like we're we're seeing a relationship between you know two single adult women, and it's it's strictly platonic. You know, there's no yeah. there's no love, there's no you know hot steamy sex scene, nothing like that. I mean, <laughs> they, you know, like, they're both you know do their own thing and i think it's, yeah there's no romantic yeah. love but i would say there is a very deep platonic love Definitely. like these women they l- treasure each other they love you know hanging out with each other and there's this period of time as they're living together that they think hey we're going to hang out and be friends and live with each other forever and obviously that doesn't pan out because as the message of the story goes you know people they grow and they move on, they have different phases of their lives that they need to, you know, move forward to. And that's just a part of life, you know, growing up and growing apart. But that connection between them is still so powerful and so resonant. Like they, as uh, Akemi says to Sakura, like she really has changed living with her because she really allowed her to be more of her open self. And, like, the fact that they were able to be so emotionally honest with each other and truly put that trust in one another in, you know, helping each other raise their children, but also just in living together. Like, I love the exploration of emotional growth through those relationships with other people, through those very positive relationships. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really appreciated how like re- reading through this series really felt like it really felt like I was getting like a snapshot of just these people's lives. It was mm-hmm. really interesting. And it truly is a snapshot. Like this is a particular moment in these characters' lives that, you know, even though early on they're like, Man, I wish things could stay like this forever, the way we live together. Like obviously that cannot always be because the kids will grow up and they will want to be independent and they'll grow away. And that part of life is, you know, in becoming independent and learning to live independently as well as with other people. And there is a time in people's lives where they do need that independence. So they do 
need to grow away. And mm-hmm. even, you know, Sakura, even though in her late 40s, she, you know, enjoys living with everyone. She's also thinking about, you know, eventually there is time for me to also go move on and live on my own for a while, too. That's kind of the next phase of my life that I want. I want to go abroad. I want to have these new experiences. And I want to just have that. And I think even though there isn't a lot of over-conflict between characters in the series, I think that kind of simmering thematic conflict is between Sakura and Kemi. And Sakura is more willing to be bold and go forward and trying new things and is thinking about a future like after the present that they're living in. Whereas Kemi, you know, we have that very telling scene when they're going to get the new refrigerator where Sakura is saying, oh, you know, maybe I should also get a driver's license so I can learn to drive. And Kimmy's like saying, no, Sakura, you don't need to worry about that. I can just drive you. And she's listening. Well, that's kind of presuming that we're all is going to live together. What's going to happen when I am not living with you? But yeah, it's just it's telling scene where Kemi is kind of more reserved and kind of more hesitant to kind of take those bold leaps forward. Like she she does want to kind of cling to the present a little more. Although eventually when Sakura does make that decision that she is going to move to Germany after uh, Kaede graduates and moves out, like, you know, Akami is accepting of that because she... You know, ultimately, she loves Sakura and she wants best for her happiness. But I do think that the conflict between them, this thematic conflict of just grappling with the fact that, you know, nothing is forever and eventually that people will drift apart and that's natural and just a direction course of their lives. I just thought it was very fascinating to see explores with those characters. No, yeah, for sure. In general, I just love the way that Minam Kuta kind of muses on just life and the nature of companionship and loneliness. Like we have, like the first volume of Pop Life is just such a, you know, pleasant read of just, you know, the cooperation between these two women raising their kids and making dinners for them and looking out for each other. But then when we get into the second volume, we get a lot of heavier stories that also kind of hammer home that, like, the nuclear family is not always the most happiest or dysfunctional, especially when it is contrasted with the uh, communal family that Sakura and Akemi have created. When we get glimpses into, like, their personal families, we see that there is a little bit of dysfunction and a fraught history there, particularly in Sakura's background with a relationship with her sister raised as her cousin Sabaki and her family situation with her mother who had, you know, it was a seeming unhappy home for Sabaki, her sister, and who mother and father were in constant conflict. And it's just some weirdness there where for some reason, she was raised by her aunt rather than her own mother, and then only found out later when they had to go dig up, you know, her birth certificate information. And it's just, yeah, that it was a, kind of an interesting series of chapters. It shows like the family that Sakura came from was kind of fractured in a way, and 
even through that, though, Sakura and Sabaki were able and are able now to form like a healthy relationship. And I love that scene where they're talking about, hey, you know, I call you my big sister to my co-workers. And Sakura saying, yeah, I refer to you as my little sister, too. It's just sweet that, you know, they were kept apart kind of as kids with like this some sort of abstracted relationship like but now you know in adulthood they are kind of repairing it and swearing it on their own terms but yeah also just the sense of you know even though that sabaki came from that unhappy home and you know she didn't have like that best relationship with her mother it's such a powerful scene that you know at the funeral after the funeral like she's kind of sleeping next to her mother's ashes like there's still some connection there and even though in the later years of her life her mother was suffering from dementia and often wouldn't even be able to recognize her own grandkids like there was still that kind of glimmer that other people could recognize that no she there was a part of her that did recognize and was happy to see them but it's just such a i mean that's just kind of the reality sometimes of like growing older is that you might lose a sense of yourself and, you know, you might have to kind of deal with these kind of situations of your body failing you or your mind failing you. And that's a very difficult thing to experience. And also, though, just the value though of having people there to take care of you, like when you are older. Like, there's not a great anecdote about Sagra's own parents and when she's having a flashback to a conversation with Sabaki's mom about and talking about like how her own mother had collapsed, but her dad was staying beside her, even though like they also didn't have the best relationship. And that's just, you know, it's just important to have that companionship sometimes. But also that story about her mom having dementia and not, you know, being able to recognize her like that, that speaks very closely to my personal experiences, you know, with, you know, elderly members of my family. And so that really hit me powerfully too. It was like, you know, you remember these people like in the prime when and you're happy memories of them. And it's just hard to see them like when they've grown older and, you know, they may be suffering from dementia or other conditions and it's heartbreaking, but like just being there for them is so important. And then the memories of them is still something to hold on to even if there weren't always very happy ones. But that also is combined with that story. Uh, I thought that was interesting of just the story with Tora, the cat, and with his, you know, big tumor and just, you know, the tenacity of him surviving past when even the doctors thought he would live. I think the combination of the stories about Sabaki's mom and Tora's cat kind of goes forward to show both the tenacity of people in living, but also kind of this sadness of not being able to let go. Because in Sakura's case, she was hesitant to, you know, let go of Tora. John, like the doctors are telling her, you know, you don't need to go through this. Tora's had a long life and, you know, living the way he is with this tumor might not be the best for him, but she, she's not, really willing to part with Tora and ultimately that ends with Tora kind of living kind of in pain for a while before having a very sad end and I think that's also a good lesson about sometimes it is important to be able to let go 
of people in your life when, you know, being around them may just be causing more pain, which is a point that also is mentioned with Akemi's conversation about why she didn't want to move back in with her parents after she got divorced, because she knew that living with her dad, they'd get into conflict. And sometimes it is best for a relationship to be apart for a while, even if you do love your family and other people. So again, I really was affected very powerfully by these themes of both the importance of community in a person's life, but also the importance of independence and also being able to value a relationship, but know when it's time to let go of it as well. Yeah, I thought those themes were very interesting as well. I mean, uh, meanwhile, I'm over here thinking to myself, because I, I, I forget what page it was, but you can clearly see uh, Ruru on an iPad, I think, and all I could think was, is that Darwin from The Amazing <laughs> uh, yes, World of Gumball? Yes, I love that cameo. <laughs> that was so wonderful. <laughs> I, I've heard Gumball is popular in Japan, so that's pretty great. Uh I mean, there are some heavy themes, but let's not forget there are also just a lot of fun, cute moments scattered throughout the manga, too. Like, the entire storyline with Sakura playing futsal, I thought was a lot of fun. Like, I appreciate, again, her personality of wanting to experiment and try new things and, like, pushing herself out there. So I like seeing her try to learn a new skill in that way, especially. And mm -hmm. that led to a lot of fun scenes originally while i was reading that volume i kept thinking to myself like this is gonna take like a serious turn and she's gonna like completely injure herself or whatever and it's like oh, she and she, she gets minor injuries yeah but yeah that doesn't make her want to give up on it entirely she does have to take a break from it but it's a great message there hey you know it's okay like, she talks to her fellow teammate who, you know, she apologized for not being to the practices in a while. And she says, oh, no, that's okay. You know, we're, you know, always here for you when you're ready. You know, so I like that message of like, you know, even if you have to take a break for something for a while, like, it's always there for you to return to it, too. Mm -hmm. Like, there are a lot of good life lessons like that. I think, especially with Kaede's story of like, he as a kid, was not able to, you know, get into that shogi association. But, like, he worked hard at it, and, like, three months later, he was able to get in, and then he, his part-time job is, like, working there as, like, a, a game note-taker. And also, you know, though he still is struggling, like, in terms of, you know, competing in the shogi tournaments and getting better. And, like, in the second one, we have this chapter where it's very unspoken, like, what has happened, but you can read between the lines, is that he comes home and he's, like, very depressed. And then the next day, Sakura is, like, telling him, yeah, you know, it's okay to, you know, lose sometimes and you don't have to beat yourself up on that. But, like, he's, like, thinking to himself, no, I'm just going to quit. But, like, Sakura can't really do anything to really, you know, push his opinion one way or another. She can just give him advice and let him figure himself out, which is also a very important lesson when it comes to like other people and their growth is that you can encourage them. You can like try and help them get on, but ultimately it's their decision. But also it's a, I like how in that chapter that's then contrasted with us seeing 
you know, Rura going rock climbing and then she falls down and, you know, she gets hurt a little bit, but then she gets right back up and tries again to climb towards the goal. So it's also a good message of like, even if you have a setback, even if you get hurt or, you know, you have your, your failures, like, you know, if you have the drive or if you have the desire to it, you know, you can still pick yourself back up and climb back towards that goal. Mm hmm. All I could think while reading that was just like, oh, man, I remember rock climbing and how much it sucks, but I still enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, for me, it brought me back to happy memories of rock climbing. Like, I enjoyed that as a pastime when I was a kid. I, look, I'm... Even though I could not climb that far, but... As a as a kid, I was, uh, I was not very fit, let's just say. Um, so whenever I had to rock climb as a kid, like, I, I liked it in the moment, but I was just like, oh, man... Why do people do this? I can barely get like halfway through the wall where I'm just like, oh, I give up. <laughs> <laughs> like I can feel the texture of like of like the rocks on my hands, like while while I was reading that. <laughs> um, we we've been kind of going on for a while here, Matt. Uh, I don't know if there's anything about pop life in particular you want to mention that like we haven't brought up already, or like I guess uh, what the work just means to you in general as you know, as, as someone who picked it up, obviously, to uh, license it. I really liked Pop Life um, because of the more of an easygoing flow that it has. Um, you know, it deals with real, you know, real life issues as opposed to some crazy fantasy issues. So it's nice to see, you know, um, this unique situation, you know, living situation dealing with actual real world issues. I really liked Volume 2. Um, I'm I was a little surprised to see it got a little, uh, took a little, got a little dark there. Uh, there yeah. Chapters. I actually, I didn't read the chapter, chapter 16 with Tora until probably uh, about a week ago because I was like, no, nah, I, I can't read it. It was too much for me. I was like, I it's, can't read it. It's uh, a hard it was, read. That was a hard oh read. Like, I was like, yeah. I, I can't, I can't. Like, my, my mom uh, lost the family cat like six months ago. So it was like, I, I can't mm. read that one. <laughs> so I finally, mm. I did go back and read it. And it's great. She, you know, the, the whole the story of, of the cat. It, it was pretty cool to see the whole life cycle of it. As much as it was so sad, uh, it was it was a good ending that like like you said in regards to that story itself of how it just you know there's it's time to let go um and i i think that was i, I think she portrayed that very well um i also really enjoyed the volume as a whole of course but i really enjoyed the afterward um yes. you know i i really liked that and it was nice to read you know how she feels and why why she chose to leave japan and it was interesting because, you know, she said she fit, you know, not to spoil anything, but talked about facing uh, discrimination, you know, or some issues as a, as a single mother. Um, you know, my, mm. my mom was a single mom for a while, and I know that she definitely ran into some issues. So I really connected with that. Um, it was, it was, um, you know, I could only imagine, you know, my mom just had me. I'm an only child. But Minami Kuta has five kids. I mean, I could only imagine, you know, the the stress and the hard work that goes into making sure five kids are taken care of on a day to day basis to only be hit with you know issues with having to rent a place and stuff like that you know even being that you're able to financially support yourselves you know and still being having issues with that um, so I really enjoyed I really enjoyed that afterward I'm glad she wrapped it up with that because that 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 really um, hit home for me so um, yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It does recontextualize a lot of the story in a powerful way. Like, kind of the decision that Sakura makes mirrors her own decision and her own declaration that, you know, she has kind of graduated from the place she had been living and she needs to go and venture out to somewhere new to live her life. And yeah, that I really, really appreciated that a lot. And yeah, what she was trying to explore through her series, like her own personal experiences and, you know, how she brought them alive in such a vivid and powerful way. Right. Mm -hmm. I I just want to mention that uh, I, it's small, but I also really enjoy how there isn't like, because I think for a series like this, it, it would have been, if it were handled by anybody else, probably, like, it, it would have been so easy to, like, you know, to constantly rag on, like, because, you know, from what I read in, like, other manga, there seems to be this prevailing idea over in Japan that, like, if you're a woman over 30, that, like, you're quote-unquote expired goods or whatever, and I I can't stand that idea, and I'm really glad that, like, I'm really glad that the series didn't have to like tackle with that too much because it would have been really easy to like. Yeah, you know. it's thankfully this was written by uh, an adult woman who yeah. has obviously these reasons to know that no, you aren't too old to do things when you're in your late forties. Mm-hmm. Like again, I like I love that Sakura in her late forties is experimenting, trying new things, like playing futsal with other, you know. Uh, people her own age who are also like trying to experiment and like trying to have fun playing you know sports and new skills like i like seeing like uh adults engage in you know new recreational activities even later in their lives like even after becoming parents and having kids like uh, that's another thing i like that both sakura and akemi just have these great lives outside of raising their children and and their careers like uh, Akami has a band that she practices with on the weekends and they play a concert and it's I like seeing stuff like that a lot. It's just nice to see them like have fun and hang out with each other for the short while that they do in this series. Like it's just it's just nice to see cuz I I typically I'm not I'm not going to say there aren't any out there cuz that wouldn't be true, but like I I don't typically read read a lot of manga with like actual adult women. You know, so like it, it was just kind of refreshing to read a series from uh, with a character from that perspective, and it was just nice to see them have fun and just drink and eat a lot or whatever. Right. <laughs> the food aspect of it, like I love that there is food in like every chapter, um, and <laughs> I think um, you know Mikusa illustrates them so well, and I think it's like I I remember I was I was reading it, you know, pop I was reading the second volume, um, had to go to Texas a few weeks ago and I was heading there and I was like, man, I am so hungry right now and all this food keeps popping up. So it's <laughs> that, that I didn't care for, but um, I do I love know, that. Oh it's so, everything is so realistic. Um, the emotions are raw. They're realistic. They're, you know, she's, I think she does, you know, everything she does, she portrays emotion very well and mm-hmm. not, not just, in text, also by her the character's body language, things like that, you know, facial expression sometimes. I don't know. I, I really like Minami Kuta as an author, as a storyteller, as an artist. I just really, I'm glad that, well, I would say glad she wrote the series, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to get our, to get this one um, going because 
it really surprised me. On, I mean, I I had high stand, high hopes and high standards for it, but it really it it really um, exceeded my expectations. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just want to touch on the art of hers too. Yeah, you're right. Like the emotion she captures her characters are so evocative. Like she has just such great gestures, even though she has a looser style. Like she really knows just how to get the most out of the expressions and the body language of her characters. And not only that, like she draws some very beautiful compositions, like her work with just silhouettes and just, you know, jotting down the forms of things can lead to some really beautiful scenes. Like for me in particular, the chapter where, you know, Sakura is consoling Kaede, you know, getting him glasses and then just walking and talking about his future. Like the scene that, that they walk through, like the path with all the, with all the trees surrounding them, and it's late fall. I just love the drawings she does of that path and the environment there, because like it's just so detailed. Even though these are just silhouette abstractions of the trees and surroundings, and often the people too, but like it really paints a picture of just the scale and just the setting of, of this environment that they're walking through. And I, like, she is such a very talented artist in that way. Yeah, her her art was uh, very interesting to me because uh, her style in particular was something I'm not, like, typically used to. But I think uh, the, the more I read and the more I got used to it, the more I think it, you know, it's a style that I think now I, like, Obviously, I, I, it's easily like relatable to to her work. Like when I when I see her style, I'm just like, no, yeah, this is clearly Minami Kuta. Like, I think it really adds to the identity of her works. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm looking at that that page now, actually, with the the trees. I really like that one as well. Um, but yeah, I think that her style is very unique to her. I think that it's not very common. You know, you, you don't see this very often, um, especially in West in the West. But yeah, I I absolutely love her style. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it like her her style definitely screams like indie to me. Yeah, it reminds me a lot. I think the biggest comparison that it made in my mind was Kyoko Okazaki stuff, right? Which who who also draws a lot of these kind of very, you know personal, emotionally raw stories about adult women. So, yeah, that's definitely, like, a style I associate with, you know, that kind of, like, very kind of emotionally, yeah, emotionally raw is the word I describe for these kind of stories. Even though it's, again, it's not too fraught, except in the middle of the second volume, but I think that a lot of the feelings it describes are so personal and intimate about that, the these characters more in their lives that I think the sim- Simplicity of the style, but the strength of the gestures really help communicate that. Mm-hmm. I agree, one hundred percent. Yeah, I really, I really, I like how you said that because, yeah, definitely. I think her her style is simplistic um, while being very detailed. However, with the serious tone and that, that emotion, it really portrays it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in general, yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed the series, and uh, I mean, I'm. At this point, I'm I'm pretty ready for uh, I'm pretty ready for whatever more Minami Kuta we can get over here in the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I am I am also. Um, 
I can't say much, but we we will be working with her in the future. So um, definitely, uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I I am too. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. There is a one shot in mind by her that we're doing. I just finalized everything with that the other day. Mm. It, it's Ooh, cool. Only about forty pages, not even forty pages, but it's a good read. It's a very it's it reminds me. It's kind of pop life esque, I guess you could say. You know, I was gonna so, say. Just kind of doing a little research on my end, it seems like she has a ton of one-shot collections. Yes, she mm-hmm. does. She has a good a good amount. I'm really interested in actually. I this I don't know if this will ever happen, but I'm really interested in her her latest series she just did. Um, it was like a novel um, adaptation. She like a manga of a you know of a novel. Um, it was two volumes long. I gotta have it somewhere in my room, but um, it looks really good. It looks really, 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 really good. So, uh, Watashi no Kanojo? I think that's is that, that it. Yeah, and it has the two characters on the cover. I, I don't have it next to me. I take a look, but that one I'm yeah, really yeah. looking forward to. You know, I, I would love to see that one in English someday. Hopefully, I can maybe in the future get my hands on that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely, I, I I can say that we are working with with her again on something. And I'm a huge fan of her works, so I won't, you know, any chance I get, I will, I will definitely take it. Awesome. Maybe Starfruit Books can be the start of the Minami Kyuta Empire. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely. So, um, of course, and going forward, you know, I, I don't know if I said it before, but I want to get more into doing both digital and print. So hopefully the next work by her that we work with her on will be available both print and digitally so that's what that's Mm -hmm. what i'm shooting for yeah yeah i understand if you like can't give us specifics but i am just kind of curious is there any way you could tell us how well pop life has done like compared to some of the other stuff you've put out so far or um i'd I'd have to look um i have to look at you know numbers but i i do think that pop life has has done pretty well you know selling of a zombie does very well as well Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that people are enjoying that. But yeah, I, I think Pop Life is probably the, our, our number one seller. Nice. Mm, that's good to I'm hear. I'm glad. Yeah, I, I didn't think it would be. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was kind of like skeptical. I was like, oh, maybe, you know, people aren't going to like it. But honestly, I, I think people are finally, you know, checking out a different, you know, a different genre and just a whole different kind of story altogether. And, and everyone seems to, to really enjoy it. Well, that's good to yeah. hear. Yeah. Yeah, the reception to it, like from the first volume, I think was pretty unanimously strong from pretty much anywhere you want. I saw review the series, and I think I even saw it included in some best of the year list too. So I am really, really glad that this title was so well received. And I'm again, I I hope it pays the way for more of her works to be localized. And I am also really looking forward to seeing people's uh, reactions to volume two in particular because yeah I, I think the complete story just really put in perspective the themes of the of it just so beautifully and poignantly that yeah i'm really excited to see people more people discuss it mm-hmm, for sure for sure yeah i think that um i agree with you on that i i was um i mean i i felt like people would like volume one very much I didn't think it would be as unanimous, like you said. Uh, it was very well received. I think Volume 2 is 
is just as good, if not better. It does have a little different element to it with the you know, little darker. However, I'm hoping it is as well received as Volume 1. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a bit more somber than Volume 1 is. But I, I, I think thematically it's very strong work. Yeah, but ultimately the tone of the story is hopeful, and I think that's what makes it resonant. Because, yes, Sakura and Akemi, you know, they do have to drift apart in different phases of life, but, you know, the story ends on that note of, hey, you know, we'll go visit Sakura in Germany. Like, Akemi comes up with a plan, and the kids are excited about it, and so, you know, there is that potential for them to reunite in the future. And so mm-hmm. even though they, you know, part ways and it's a little sad because Sakura is thinking to herself, Akemi, just quit your job and come with me. Like, it is hard for them to separate. But like, you know, even though they drift apart, you know, the relationship, their feelings after each other is still so strong. And, you know, they can reunite in the future. Life is long and people come and go in all sorts of different phases of it. One day they'll hang out in Germany and probably go to Oktoberfest together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, in conclusion, pop life good and you should read it. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. Um, I, I think that everyone, check out pop life. I mean, it is two volumes, two great volumes of just everyday life kind of stories. Yeah, check it out. I, I, I really think that if you haven't, you will like it. It's a, like we're saying, it's a little bit more of a laid back kind of read, but it's definitely a good one. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, I'm not just saying this because Matt's here, but in general, you should check out more stuff from Starfruit Books. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree with that also. Um, yes, it's not being paid or anything. Um, so yeah, that is definitely <laughs> voluntary. But uh, yeah, check us out. Um, it's been nice to hear um, in the reviews that are coming out of not just Poplift, but other of our works. Uh, people are mentioning the quality and that, um, you know, we're not a bunch of amateurs uh, working on licensing manga here where, you know, we actually care about what we're doing. We want to make sure it looks aesthetically pleasing and it's accurate and that the artist has their input. So if you have yet to check anything out by Starfruit Books, please do so. Um, I promise you won't be disappointed. Mm-hmm. A wholehearted recommendation from us on the My Parameters podcast. And yeah, I mean, again, we've read it a lot, but we've really enjoyed the works you publish, and we're really looking forward to the stuff you're going to publish in the near future. And we want to thank you so much, Matt, again, for coming on the show to talk about Starfruit Books and Pop Life with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, I've I've actually listened to your show quite a few times now, so it's kind of surreal to actually be here. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of cool. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. So thanks for having me, and um, I'm sure we'll cross paths again. And um, yeah, definitely. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Now, before we let you go here and let you plug where people can find you and Starfood, there is one fan question we got that uh, we should answer, and this is kind of related to uh, you know your love of you know children's uh, franchises. So, thoughts on Anima Gear? This comes to us from Egg at MapsGC30 on Twitter. Um, <laughs> thoughts on Anima Gear? Good question. I don't have many thoughts on Anima Gear because I know of it, but I've never dug really too much into it. Mm. But however, yeah, that's my only thought. <laughs> ah. So what 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 is Anima Gear exactly? 
Anime Gear is one of those toy franchises from Bandai. Yeah, they're like robot kind of figurines. Oh, okay. They're pretty cool, actually. Like, not gonna lie, they're pretty cool. I um, I, I've seen a little bit of them, but I don't have much of an opinion on them because it's one of those collectibles I don't want to dive into because <laughs> I don't have the time for that. Right? <laughs> Get obsessed and just spend your entire entire life savings on anime yeah, gear. Yeah, it, it, it could happen. You never know. So, um, it, I actually, it might be getting a. Got an anime or was getting the anime franchise? Maybe there's an hmm. Oni A, which is basically just a commercial. Oh, okay. Uh, so there was a commercial for it, but I don't know if it has an anime yet, and it doesn't look like it has a manga yet either. So Darn. otherwise, that might be something to check out. But. Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> but yeah, I, sorry, um, whoever that was. I don't really know. I haven't dug too much into anime here yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. it'll be an up-and-coming franchise, like the next Bakugan or Beyblade. There you go. Of that sort. <laughs> Maybe it'll get a manga and Matt will try to license it. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, speaking of things to look forward and look into, Matt, where can people find you on social media and follow you and Starfruit Books for updates on the series you're putting out? And when they're coming out. Definitely. Um, you can check us out. Um, www.starfruitbooks.com. Uh, Twitter at Starfruit Books. Instagram at Starfruit Books. You can also find me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Hashimoto. H-A-A-S-C-H-I-M-O-T-O. That's the best place to find me. Um, I don't use much of anything else. So... Yeah, um, I would say definitely check us out. Also, if you get a chance, head on over to the website. Um, if you can sign up for our email updates, there might be some um, info about early releases or stuff like that in those emails coming soon. So just keep an update on that. Ooh, nice. I'm, I might have to sign up for those. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to start incorporating that a little bit. Just, I mean, nothing like, nothing too crazy, but you might get a little bit of information a couple of days before Twitter finds out. So. Okay, okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, once again, Matt, thank you for uh, coming on the show and uh, talking with us about Starford Books and Pop Life. But for now, Lum, I think we can uh, transition out into the ending of the show. Yes, much like Sakura and Akemi, we've enjoyed our time together, but we must now part ways. But we can look forward to meeting up again on another day. We'll see you in Germany, Matt. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Check some brewskis and uh, down some brockers. There we go. Sign me up. <laughs> Thanks again, everyone.
Thanks again to Matt for coming on the show to share his experiences founding and running Starfruit Books and his thoughts on Minami Kuchu's pop life. We're big fans of the work Matt and Starfruit does, and we highly encourage you to not only check out pop life, but Starfruit's other titles as well. Speaking of, that brings us to the first of our community shoutouts for this episode, which is Mono Mechanician's recent decision on Kaguya Sarukawa's work licensed by Starfruit, Sawadabe Zombie, and Kyudo. As always, the Manga My Crew has very thoughtful conversations on Sarukawa's storytelling, art, humor, and the similarities and differences between the two works. Sarukawa is an interesting artist, and you should definitely check out their episode for more elaborate thoughts on his work. That Manga Mac episode is the only Starfruit really shot that I have, but since we had met on the show to talk about localization in the manga industry, I thought it'd be appropriate to share other shoutouts in that vein, also talking about localizers in the North American manga industry. Starting off, Kanancha USA had two manga editor roundtables recently, one with ANN that was focused exclusively on English manga editors, regaling their stories of how they ended up working in the industry and where their careers have taken them, and one in which both English and Japanese manga editors for Kadacha, including both the English and Japanese editors of Orient, gave an overview of their roles and responsibilities as editors and the differences between being an English manga editor and a Japanese manga editor. These were both really interesting roundtable conversations, the localizers roundtable honed in on what skills and experiences are necessary to make it as an English manga editor, including some expectations that may differ from publisher to publisher, and the combined Japanese-English editors panel had some great insights and differences between editors, roles, and responsibilities in different magazines in Japan, and since both the English and Japanese editors oriented were present, it was super interesting to learn both the story of how the series came together, and the work that goes into preserving important elements of the story in the localization. Both of these roundtables were very interesting and illuminating looks into what it's like being a manga editor, and I highly encourage you to come out to learn more about the job. Speaking of shining a spotlight on localization jobs, JN Translations interviews with localizer series always does a great and fantastic job highlighting extremely talented and wonderful localizers in all different types of roles, especially letters and translators. And they did a great interview with letterer Sarah Lindsley recently that discussed how she got into the career, how she's used her computer science and software development skills to create automated scripts to make the lettering process easier, and developed her own original fonts. Sarah is one of the best letterers in the biz, and her tutorials on lettering and spotlight treads are always incredibly insightful and educational, and the interview is a great overview of how her experiences in software development have translated to lettering, what she enjoys with the work, and how the scripts and fonts she's created have been a great asset to the community. She's also dispels some myths about localization and shares her thoughts on the viability of the career and its future. Another great letterer interview to recommend is Saturday Night Shogi's interview with Ace Chrisman, discussing their history as a letterer and how they broke into the industry, their earliest fandoms, and how those motivated their career paths and even led them to help put a few series on the radar to be localized licensed, all leading up to a conversation on their newest project, the Shonen Sunday title, Call of the Night. We've had Ace on the show before, and they're always a great guest, and SNS's interview with them is a great interview that touches upon parts of the career we haven't uh, discussed on here, and it's a fun and informative listen. But speaking of Shigakukon titles, we talked a lot with Matt about his love of Pokemon and Pokemon manga, you know, manga to run in Korko comics, so I've got a few Pokemon-related shoutouts for y'all. 
Starting off with a Pokemon manga around in Korokoro. Sci-Fi did a retrospective on the electric tail of Pikachu. And as their headline describes, it was one of the first and strangest Pokemon manga ever to be licensed to English. And their article describes on how the series was really different from the anime, despite sharing the same characters and why that was, thanks to artist Tonishiro Ono's unique sensibilities as a storyteller and writer. It's a great tribute to this well-remembered but underrated Pokemon manga, describing what made it so appealing and palatable to international audiences and the legacy it's left behind. But considering the legendary of Pikachu is a compliment to the Pokemon anime, I thought it was also worth shouting out Daniel Dockery's feature on the early Pokemon anime, and why it was so important to a generation of kids who grew up on it, and where it fits in the grand scheme of anime permeating popular culture in the U.S., as well as how Ash's character arc and the friendship between Ash, Brock, and Misty were so resonant and relatable as a story of growing up and growing apart, not necessarily reaching your goal, but maturing along the journey. Dan Doc is literally writing the book on Pokemon's pop culture significance, and he's almost spot on in his analysis of the series, so definitely check it out for a reminder of Pokemon's impact on legacy beyond the nostalgia. But on the subject of the franchise's enduring legacy, well, my last Pokemon-related shout-out is actually a Wise article describing the current Pokemon card craze, which collectors are super obsessed with buying and selling cards at a high price, and this whole industry of grading cards based on their quality, and that whole insane industry that's popped up. And for anyone out of the loop with this recent craze in my stores like Target have begun to quit selling these cards cold turkey, the Wise article is a really good overview of the situation and where it stands, and the state of the Pokemon card market. And in its own way, I think it's kind of an incredible testament to Pokemon's endurance and impact as a franchise, and its continued relevance in popular culture, even two decades on. Getting back to manga, though, but still speaking of crazes, manga is in a renaissance of popularity, blowing up and selling out across the US, dominating not just graphic novel sales charts, but book charts in general. Prince's Weeks of Story made a great video covering the history of manga as a medium and its permeation in the U.S. over the years, touching upon notable key titles, important early localizations, and some of the most significant breakthrough bestsellers like Fruits Basket. It is a great overview of manga's history and the foundations that have been built upon to create the culture in which manga is now so widely read and beloved in the U.S. But following up on that, Polygon has published Two great articles touching upon both the past and future of manga consumption in the U.S. The first is a great tribute to the ever memeable nostalgic and legendary Barnes & Noble's manga section, sharing anecdotes of several fans, other experiences hanging out in the section, both the good and the bad, and their memories and the legacy of what it means to manga fans it represents to us as a community. It's a very nice tribute to the Barnes & Noble's manga section, something that I certainly have always perused and enjoyed perusing. But Polygon has also published a piece directly commentating on the growth of manga in the bookselling marketplace, touching upon titles that have blown up in the past year like MJ, Chainsaw Man, and Jujutsu Kaisen, and how the growth of manga has outpaced other types of books. Friend of the show Kate Sanchez was interviewed for the piece to share her insights on the appeal of manga and why they are so appealing to collect and read. The piece really touches upon manga's growth not only as a result of the stories themselves being in demand, but because manga itself is an incredibly social experience that encourages community and collectors' habits, like no other type of book can. Dabaki's annual State of the Manga Industry Post for Publishers Weekly also goes into greater detail about the factors behind manga's growth in the past year, touching upon every major publisher, getting quotes from representatives of 
each publisher to talk about how pretty much everyone has seen Rogue Tanks to a combination of highly watched and highly demanded anime, diversity publishers, and the titles being published these days also being incredibly diverse, which just includes LGBTQ and OEL manga, and it also touches upon the question of whether we're in a boom or bubble, and whether that's going to burst, and whether the growth manga's been seeing is sustainable, and the supply chain problems that have been happening because manga's been selling out, and printers are at full capacity to infer printing, so it's a real question of whether supply can catch up and meet the demand, but overall... The perspective of the piece is a bright one, an encouraging one for the future of the manga industry, and it's a highly intriguing and informative read. Deboki also hosted a great interview panel with Nagata Kabi for TCAP recently, in which she and interpreter Jocelyn Allen, who also is a translator of Kabi's works, interviewed Kabi about her artistic talk process and how her life informs the art she creates. Kabi's clearly been through a lot, and this is the first interview of this kind she done, so she seemed very nervous. But Deb asked really thoughtful, empathetic, considerate questions, and Jocelyn interpreted so empathetically and was very mindful to match Kabi's tone and intent in describing her responses. Kabi's still working through a lot of life stuff, clearly, but the interview was a very relieving one as someone following her works, and a hopeful one for her future. And I really appreciated Deb and Jocelyn's help in bridging the gap between Kabi and the fans who are also rooting for her, also hoping to see and hear how she's doing directly and cheer her on, which was so heartwarming to see in the comments section of the video in particular. But that VOD of the panel that I'm linking is only going to be up through May 26th. But thankfully, ANN has transcribed the panel and published a few interview with copy on their website. So definitely check that out if you can no longer watch the panel or would prefer to read it instead. And finally, from the show, Erica Freeman also touched upon how the context of the interview reframed what Kabi's latest work released in English, My Alcoholic Escape from Reality, represents as a point in Kabi's life, seeing her struggle at some of her lowest moments, but also focusing more hopefully on her creative struggle that is a testament to her tenacity and desire to persevere. I always appreciate Erica's thoughts on Kabi, and she wrote a really great and thoughtful review of the book, and I'm looking forward to talking more with her about Alcoholic Escape from Reality in an upcoming episode of our podcast. But to give you two stuff to look forward to in terms of both our podcast and the manga industry, I think that's a great transition out of our shoutouts. However, before we get into our wrap-up, I do have one last thing I want to give a shout-out. Listeners may recall that I showed up many great Full Metal Alchemist podcasts back in our Silver Spoon retrospective, which included the Law of Equivalent Exchange hosted by Deconstructing Comics' Tim Young. Tim had reached out to us about doing an ASWAP for our podcast on our shows, and after catching up and becoming a fan of the Law of Equivalent Exchange, I was happy to oblige. You can listen to our Ad for the Manga Marriage podcast on their most recent episode, and enjoy their Ad for the Law of Equivalent Exchange up next, and check out their show for some great analysis on the Full Metal Alchemist manga. The Law of Equivalent Exchange, a chapter-by-chapter look at the manga Full Metal Alchemist, is now in its own podcast feed and coming out twice a month. Patrick and I analyze how creator Hiromu Arakawa masterfully put together the story of Edward and Alphonse Elric, with commentary on the story, the art, and the translation. What are we missing from the original Japanese? Even translation of the sound effects can be a bit tricky. Look for the Law of Equivalent Exchange in Apple Podcasts or wherever you find podcasts.
And with those shout-outs shouted out, we want to once again thank Matt for coming on the show to talk with us. It was a ton of fun. We hope to have him on the show again. And I want to thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed our interview with Matt, learned a few things, and got interested in checking out some of their titles, especially Pop Life. And again, you can definitely check out even further thoughts on Pop Life in the reviews that we've written on the series. Because again, it's just... It's a very compelling comic that we absolutely recommend, and that's also why we highly recommend you enter our context. Reminder, interactive tweet, retweet the tweet promoting this episode, and follow both Mongomerics and Starfruit Books on Twitter. You'll be entered for a chance to win both copies of Pop Life, Volumes 1 and 2, and yeah, just do that within a week of this episode coming out, and you have a chance to win. So look forward to that and look forward to checking out Pop Life. Yep. Uh, once again, our Twitter handle is at manga underscore mavericks. And the Twitter handle for Starfruit Books is just Starfruit Books. It's easy. Mm-hmm. But now we can tell you where else to find us. Yeah. And I guess, um, Lama, as always, you can go ahead and start off. You can find me at Lamaromayasha on Twitter. It's Lamaromayasha at a variety of places like Animation Revelation and Analyst. Wherever there's a Lamaromayasha, as you can find me. You can also read my reviews on AllJudgeComer.com. we got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out. I look forward to more on there. This includes my Pop Life Volume 2 review, which, you know, I expanded on my thoughts, like, so much in this episode already. But if you want even further thoughts, even further analysis, check out my review of the second volume. Because I really had a lot to say about the series. And, of course, I have got a ton of other reviews as well. And, in addition, com and this podcast feed is where you can find the other podcasts I do, including Mongers and Movies, where we cover anime movies, and Hashtag Lem Squad, the podcast where me and my good friend Andrei C. Yoshimura cover the wonderful, wacky world of Rumiko Takahashi's Yorosayatsura. We've caught it up on Wiz's releases of manga, so now we're going to head into the movie, Sounds Like Our Own Country Roll, and we are going to be really excited to talk about Only You soon, so definitely look forward to that. And that can also be found on its own Twitter feed, and Lum underscore Squad, and on its own podcast feed, pretty much on every podcast platform you can think of. And if you like the art I draw for this show, all the podcasts I do, and the art I make in journal, and the illustrations I make, you can find all of that on my Instagram at setartworks. All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at sniperking323. I also host and produce a few other podcasts on the side besides this one, uh, which you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. I have a page uh, basically dedicated to whatever podcasts I'm doing, including this one, One Podcast Prevails, a podcast about Detective Conan slash Case Closed. And basically everything else I'm doing over at the uh, Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network at the SSA Network. Again, that's at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Please check out my other podcast if you're interested in doing so. But as for this podcast, you can find every episode of the Manga Mavericks over at all-comic.com. That's where we post every episode first. Unless you are a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Or at the $2 tier in particular, uh, you will have access to select episodes of the podcast basically whenever we have them edited if we happen to have them edited before they're meant to go up on our main feed i forgot to mention this but right now if you sign up for our patreon you can actually listen to our next episode of the podcast coming up before it's uploaded we basically did an episode with uh, eisner award-winning comics artist joey weiser uh, also a good friend of the show 
basically where we talked about the original Speed Racer manga as well as his new comic Dragon Racer. That is the next episode of this podcast coming up, but you can listen to it basically a whole week at least ahead of time. Again, that is on our Patreon at the $2 tier right now for you to listen to, and you can basically listen to so many podcasts like that. Again, whenever we happen to have them edited, uh, we will put them up on our Patreon first, or if you want some, you know, some new bonus content, uh, you can sign up for our $5 tier where we upload at least one bonus podcast at the end of every month. Right now, our latest bonus podcast is the newest episode of our side podcast, The Manga Marics Book Club, where we're talking about the original Saint Seiya manga from Masami Kuramata in particular. I am going through that manga for the first time, as well as with my friend Doctor, again from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network. It's been a real ride. We are actually coming up pretty close on ending that series in particular, but we still have a ton of great bonus podcasts that we're going to be uploading on the Patreon every month. So yeah, again, that's at the $5 tier. I mean, just a general, we have a lot of stuff waiting for you on our Patreon that uh, I haven't even mentioned. Again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. It's really the best way for you guys to support us and everything we do here, keeps the lights on, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So if you do sign up, uh, we'll even shout you out, you know, on whatever podcast we happen to record, whenever you sign up, you will get a shout out at basically any tier you sign up for, because we just appreciate you guys that much. Once again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. But as for everything else, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But once again, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks, like I mentioned earlier, or you can follow us on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com. Both of those, if you follow, uh, you'll get the latest updates on our podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, where we post different excerpts of the podcast, as well as some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Do you have any questions for Matt? Or do you have any questions about Starfruit Books? Any thoughts on Pop Life or anything else that Starfruit Books has uh, published over here? You know, do you want to tell us about any manga that you're reading or any mangas you want us to read, uh, want us to read on the show? Again, email us anything about manga, the podcast, or whatever, and we'll read it on the show. We love getting emails from you guys. Again, send those to us at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on a lot of different platforms. But on Apple Podcasts in particular, we would really appreciate a rating and a review. Really helps the visibility of our show on that platform in particular. And just in general, we we really like getting feedback from you guys. We really take it seriously. And we want to use whatever feedback you have to basically make the show even better. But that's going to be about it for this podcast. This has been episode 158 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. We will see you guys next time for episode 159. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.